Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown show. A show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Jenna Ball is a storyteller. This multimedia talent has used her big picture thinking and artistic skills to develop and execute large-scale projects. She looks for ways to work with those who think outside the box, work collaboratively, and are not afraid to fail forward. She started a children's media property called Critterkin. Critterkin used stories and project-based learning to teach kids social, emotional, and core communication skills to help each child discover, develop, and share their unique interests and abilities so they can become kind, compassionate, and competent adults. Her most recent project is Braided Lives. It was clear to Jenna that people are hungry for connection. They need places to meet, to comfort, console, and encourage one another, and tools that allow them to communicate and share ideas effectively. Braided Lives is designed to find, publish, and braid the stories of our lives into a larger narrative that offers insights into what it means to be human. Jenna has lived in California, Japan, Hawaii, and now North Carolina, telling and collecting stories along the way. Jenna, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? <laughs> you know what? I'm pretty darn good. <laughs> hey, I hear that, you know. Yeah, there's certain points that you reached that point. I had an aunt who I took care of towards the end of her life who always said, you know, if you wake up on this side, you know, hey, it's endless possibilities. So that, that's, that's where I try to be, you know. Yeah. So I'm going to so. take that with me. I never thought yeah. of it like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you can either hey, see know, what's I, going on as, as a negative mm-hmm. or some, an opportunity to learn something. That's how I've been trying to see it. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, one of the things that, you know, I liked about you was that, You've done a lot of things. I mean, and I mean, but it's like that constant moving forward that I can identify with. You know, mm-hmm. I like the part how how you defied your parents, how they wanted you to be a dentist, but you defied oh them God. and decided to study writing and advertising and illustration. And you know, and it's funny how often our parents have something in mind for us, but you oh, know, yeah. we just we we have to do what we want to do. What 
made you interested in writing? And have you always at some level written? According to my mother, I tried to write my first story when I was five. And wow. because I couldn't really write yet, I dictated it to her. <laughs> it was a, I was terrible. That was shameless. Um, but I, I guess it was about, she, I still don't remember this, but it was about a pumpkin that wanted to be a jack-o'-lantern, but he was kind of misshapen and, and weird looking, and so nobody wanted him to be. And then so finally this little girl picks him up and, and I'm going to make this the best, you know, Halloween pumpkin ever. And, you know, she, he turned out to be the very best because he was so unusual looking, right? Uh-huh. At five, uh, that's pretty good. <laughs> uh-huh, really, I mean, not only at five, is it that you got that, you know, you got that you yeah. don't have to be the perfect pumpkin, you know? You don't have to exactly. be the perfect pumpkin, you know? That's something, that's something. And then, you know, so, so you decided to write, did, were you encouraged, well, to, or was it like, oh, that's just your hobby, you know? Uh, look at this medical book. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Um, well, I'll, I'll say this. Um, I, I was more interested in drawing than I was in writing. And my dad worked for a computer company. He would bring home the, you know, the printed, those big reams of printed computer paper. On one, it was only mm-hmm. printed on one side. And so I would draw on the other side. And I, I remember filling up boxes, drawing, 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 drawing. So... Um, it was, and then I can remember, you know, making up stories about what I'd drawn, but I don't think the storytelling kicked in until a little bit later. Um, okay. But yeah, I've always been a storyteller. I would never have called it that. I, uh, I just had this affinity for engaging with things and people around me. Like I can remember telling my dog stories. And my cat and I would stay up late, <laughs> uh-huh. late at night talking to one another. You know, uh-huh. I just, yeah. I was, yeah, you know, it's, no, you weren't odd. You were perfect, you know. You know, I mean, I'll tell you, I, I would have these dolls and teddy bears, and I'd line them up, and I'd tell them stories. Yeah. Sometimes we'd have plays. And I've talked to so many people who, you know, that, that, that was their first audience, you know, either the pets, the toys, or whatever, you know. Yeah. Uh, and were you one of those kids? Because I'll tell you, I've always enjoyed hearing people tell me their stories. Did you like that? Um, I, yes, but I, I don't know that I thought of it. I mean, like, I would just insinuate myself into adult conversations, uh-huh. especially my grandmother who told great stories. So, you know, whatever they were uh-huh. talking about, I'd get in the middle of it and grab her leg and, you know, what are you talking about? Can you tell me, you know, like, I wanted to know what was going on. So uh-huh. I guess that's the story kind of thing. So, but my mother and read if, to me every night, so it wasn't uh-huh. like I never felt deprived of, you know, reading or words or, and my grandmother, who basically raised me, sang to me every night. So, oh, I love that. Yeah, I did too. Mm. Yeah, just her voice always, you know. Mm-hmm. So where was home? Now, I know you've lived here, there, and everywhere, but where, if you look back and say, that's home, where you need to if you need to go back and, and get that, that feel, where is home? Oh, I don't know. I was born and raised in, in well, I'll tell you why, because I was born and raised in Southern California. Um, but 
and I grew up and went to college in California. Um, then I went to Japan. Then I went to Hawaii. So I've lived a lot of places, but I, I still will tell you that I'm in search of home, that place that I belong to on the planet, you know. Um, and that's because my childhood home was, you know, full of violence and fear and alcoholism. And, and so that did not feel like home. <laughs> uh-huh. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I'm living in North Carolina right now. Um, my father's family is from here, from the Asheville area. Ah. But his family, yeah, his family, my uh, you know, plantation my owners. My family is from the Asheville area. Oh, gosh, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, my father, you know, last name's Reynolds, and they, you know, mm-hmm. plantation owners. And my dad was mm-hmm. one of the most obnoxious, racist, horrible people I ever met. So mm-hmm. I don't consider that all. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. You know, probably Hawaii because um, uh, I swam. I lived there 10 years and I swam twice a day, every day. And I swam with dolphins every day there. And it, wow. it, the, water became, the, the water became my home. Um, I, I've always said that if you throw me back, right, <laughs> because mm-hmm. walking around on the planet with human beings is problematic. I like the dolphins better. You know, it's funny. Um, the one time I went to Hawaii, I was having, I was there like for like about 10 days and I was having like a, a sort of like low day and someone said, oh, we're going to go on this boat. Maybe, maybe we'll see dolphins and someone said, mm-hmm. and the person who was driving said, we haven't seen dolphins all day. And I was standing on the edge, sort of looking down, thinking about things that were making me kind of sad. And there was a dolphin. And it yep. was like, they kind of knew like, come on, you guys need to come and see this. And there were, I, I understand what you mean. There was something that was like, wow. Sometimes yeah. there's something about being, I think that for me, if I were to say home, it would be someplace where I was surrounded and involved a lot in nature. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. I mean, if there's anything that, that, that calls to me, it's being out, you know, in the natural world. And I had just amazing experiences while I was there. Um, I'm trying to finish a book of essays called There's Whales in My Backyard. Mm. And it's all about the, the amazing things that happened to me when I was when I was there in Hawaii. Because I was, you know, a five-minute walk from the ocean. And I walked down there at 4 a.m. on a full moon night. You know, it was wonderful. Wow. So, wow. Where do you, do you wow. consider a place home? No. Um, I don't think, you know, and it's funny because, you know, in my writing, I've, I, you know, there's a lot of places that I think, but it's like home is how you feel. Do you know what I mean? Like I am, although my mother's family was from North Carolina, not far from, from Asheville, I was born and raised in Detroit, but I have right. been in other places to, uh, sometimes it's from the people, sometimes it's from what's around and that where I have felt that my soul, my spirit has been there before and all of these places mm-hmm. are a mm-hmm. part of this bigger home than, you know, bricks and mortar and some little house, you know. I mean, I think I was I'm really a glad to hear you say that. <laughs> Pardon mm-hmm. me? I think I was a gypsy in another life. You know? Yeah, yeah, I... Because I've always gone where I felt called to go, 
I know that mm-hmm. sounds odd to some people, but I mean, I really believe that, that, you know, I've got some learning to do and each of these places had something to teach me. You know? So home is where, where I'm learning and, and the people who are supporting me in the process, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, cause there's places that you go and something that you feel and there's just that sense, you know, of, yes. of being a part yes. of something, particularly when people open up to you and share with you and, and, and welcome you in. You know that this is no coincidence and it's not like they are, you might not have known each other forever, but they're not strangers. It's like you're, you're like, as they yep. say, kindred spirits. And yep. that's that universal home. You know? Yep. And I think that's what we're all trying to, now we're going to get esoteric here, but I mean, that's really what we're trying to get back to. Mm-hmm. You know, is that the common thread that, that pulls us all together, which is that larger love. Um, and I think love is very inadequate, but it's still that sense of oneness, you know, that what mm-hmm. unites us is bigger than what divides us. And that's, I really believe in that. <laughs> and, you know, and, and we've, we've talked about, you know, and it is, I mean, like storytelling and being that person, but also not just telling a story, but hearing other stories and to be able to help someone tell that or hear that or to yep. know that you're listening, yep. you, know? you know, because I think we, we sort of, I mean, I know that um, you have posted something and I did too about the apathy that people have. And it's like sometimes, yep. you know, you just miss something just by walking by, not taking a moment to talk to someone or, if they say something, not listening or noticing something that's on the ground and, and you know, the beautiful rock or, or our favorite trees, you know, and, and not being able to, to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, I think that that's, like, so important. During the, this, this time of where, you know, we've, we've been sort of, like, socially isolated, although even before this, many people were socially isolated. What did you come to know about yourself that you were like, hmm, you know, I thought I knew everything, but hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have to backtrack a little bit so you understand a little bit of where I've come from, because I grew up in a family, and I think I chose this family very consciously on some level. You know, they, they didn't like me much. I was not I was not a boy, right? I was too sensitive. I had too much energy. I was too much of a tomboy. I was quote unquote too full of myself. And I had all these artistic aspirations, you know? And so everything about me was was problematic for them. And so as a child, you know, you get that message pretty loud and clear, and I learned that if I performed you know, I got straight A's, and I addressed the way they wanted me to, and I, and uh, you know, I did all the things they thought I should do. Like they wanted me to be a concert pianist too, in addition to being yeah. a dentist. Uh-huh. Anyway, um, <laughs> and I would get approval, and so in uh-huh. in that regard, I abandoned myself for the longest time. You know, I just I I tried to put on these, for lack of a better word, like clothes that didn't fit. Mm-hmm. And so, and so I was going to be a writer. I defied them, but I still was going to be a writer. But then I adopted everybody else's version of what a writer is. You know, the the suffering, 
tortured artist, the poet that has no money, the person who starves <laughs> in her attic, you know, all that crap. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. But, you know, and so I, and then I, when I did get writing jobs, it was always telling other people's stories. And in the process of all this, you know, getting the straight A's and, and pleasing everybody else and all that, I kind of lost myself. You know, and it took me, that's one of the reasons I turned down the PhD programs and I went mm-hmm. to Japan. Some parts of me knew I had to get out of American culture. I had to get out of the performance hierarchy, university, academia. I had to get away to find myself. So in Japan, I got good therapy. I got sober. 39 mm-hmm. years now. <laughs> I'm so proud That's of myself. That's great. You're I know. And I, I am proud of myself. And, um, you know, I finally, I found somebody who, who said to me, you know, you, Jenna, you don't have to prove your right to exist. You know that, right? And I cried for a week. Like, I just, like, mm-hmm. some part of me had really been trying to prove that I had a right to be here. So, of course, mm-hmm. I didn't know who I was. And it the process has unfolded over years and of course you come back to America and you step into the corporate mold and you you know I took a lot of freelance writing jobs and marketing jobs you know where I was writing other people's stories and so it's taken me a long time to come back to the realization that my stories enhanced and informed by other people's stories you know are as valuable as the ones I was telling you know like I there was a place, and it was important for me to tell my stories. So now I forgot the question. <laughs> no, no, I mean, that is, that is just like, I mean, I think we were separated at birth. <laughs> right? You know, right? because, you know, I know really, because, you know, there, there are those things that you, that you come and kind of find it, and part of what makes me want to, uh, to take time, particularly with kids, because, People say things, and you don't. They think, oh, kids don't believe it. But, you know, there was a time, and I'll tell you this honestly, and my sister hates it when I tell it, but when she, I was left in her care, she was the oldest, and she told me that I was adopted. And I was getting something from other people in the family to where I really believed that they had never wanted me. Oh, that, you know, I, I was adopted and, you know, and that, and I was, I was like you, I was that, that, that the overachiever, I tried to bring in the mm-hmm. A's and do all of this and that, and to the point where often it became what was expected and not recognized what, why I was doing it. Yep. And yep. Um, so, I mean, it, it's funny how we don't think about that and how, children are like little sponges and sometimes you'll say something and you don't know. I think that the best thing that you can do is to love a child. Just love them for who they are and it doesn't matter what, you know, you, you know, put your expectations on the shelf and just let them be yes. whatever. You know? Yes. You're kind of hitting on one of my pet peeves and, and major themes in the second half of my life, which is, um, you know, how do we teach children and what do we teach children? Mm. Right now, our education system is very, um, operates on an industrial model. And so we, we expect every child to learn the same thing the same way on the t- same time schedule. And then we quality test them like a car on, a, on an assembly mm-hmm. line when they get to the end. 
right? And the problem with that, of course, is, is that sets up crazy expectations. You know, the kids learn that they're in competition with one another, they're being judged, that there's one right way because that's the A, right? Uh-huh. And they learn, to work, they learn to look outside themselves instead of inside. And they become scared to death of failure because if you fail, you don't get the A, right? And you don't get the attention, you don't get the approval. So I learned all this from a group of third graders when I wrote my first children's book. Mm-hmm. And I was reading the book and we just finished we're going to draw a dog that's part of my program uh-huh. and they were all excited and they got their papers and their pencils and we all started drawing the dog and everybody's having a great time it's just so much fun look at the nose look at the ears and then all of a sudden i started hearing mine's ugly uh-huh. i can't do this. oh i hate this you know this mine's not perfect like yours Now, it took me a while to get through my dense skull to finally ask the kids. I said, what in heaven's name do you think not perfect means? And Michelle, you know what they said? Not perfect means you're dirty, stupid, bad, ugly, messed up, broken. I mean, I have a list of 54 adjectives. Uh The teachers were crying. I was crying. I was like, oh, my gosh, you guys. That's not true. And so then we did what you would expect an adult to do and say, you know, everybody makes mistakes, blah, 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 blah. Okay, I thought I got it through their heads. I came back the next week and I said, so what did we decide not perfect means? Dirty, stupid, bad, messed up. Because it didn't matter what I said. It's what they felt. Uh, And I've had this repeated in hundreds, not one or two, hundreds of classrooms around the world. And that's when I knew like not only had I was I seeing what I went through and suddenly had such such empathy for this poor kid I was you know trying so hard to please people and it was the same thing you know I couldn't be perfect that's when I decided to write my my not perfect hat club series all about you mm-hmm. know being not perfect and that mm-hmm. being not perfect is a good thing because if everybody was perfect how would you feel if you could do Thank everything you. perfectly Right now, how mm-hmm. would you feel? And your kid's like, oh, man, it's boring. And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. that'd be dumb, wouldn't it? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I've seen it change children's lives. And in watching their faces, I was finally able to start to embrace that little part of me that never, never heard it's okay to be not perfect. And out of that came the realization that what I wanted to do next was help kids learn empathy and compassion and respect for differences and how to communicate across those communicate and collaborate across those divides, you know, so that they don't see somebody who's, um, you know, in India uh-huh, <laughs> as somebody uh-huh. separate and apart from them just because they have brown skin and they have white skin with freckles. I mean, it was such an eye-opening experience. And um, that's, yeah, that's kind of what brought me to this, this place now um, with the pandemic. I'm not sure what to do next, <laughs> but I know that it has to do with this need to teach, not just children, but everyone, empathy uh-huh. through story. Uh-huh. Because we're not going to well, get empathy the, until we can listen. No. Uh-huh. What so we're going to take our so, first break, and I want to come oh, back we're and finish on that, okay? okay? Sure. Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, you, you just hit on, I mean, you just hit on, you hit the nail on the head, sister, you know? <laughs> so we'll be right back.
This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown with my guest, Jenna Ball. You know, empathy. I mean, yep. you know, one of the other things that we share is like children's books. And yes. I, was, I know. Like, I like this woman. <laughs> I know. And, you know, and part of what, what you know, because I had always written, and I, and I still sometimes do write this year, so, but I had a child asked me when she saw a homeless family and she's like, you know, well, how come they don't have this and how come they don't have that? And, you know, Mm -hmm. we tend to want to put something, a label on them, like somehow they have failed, they have done this, they have done that. And, you know, one of the, when I first started reading this book, and and so rather than, you know, I'm not going to hit them hard on it, so I use the dog as, as the main character, but when I, I went into a school, and first of all, we read through it. And um, mm-hmm. like to talk about how you notice things about kids, there is one child who asked questions about this homeless family, were they going to be okay, and this and that. And then afterwards, you know, I did like a writing workshop. And the teachers came in and said, how did you get them to sit there and write? And I said, because I told them just write. Write me a story. And I, mm-hmm. said, and I said, I didn't ask them. You know, were the words, was it paragraphs, this, that, and everything. Just tell me a story and write it. That's right. And, it, yeah. you know, and, and they did. They said, well, we've never been able to sit them to get that quiet. And then when I went back later, you know, because I don't know how it is for you, but, but I, even if a child, like if they lose their home or whatever, they go into homeless, they try to keep them in their same school district. And oh, one of the teachers yes. told me, that very girl who, you know, they said they had noticed that this year she had been real quiet, but, you know, you don't ask, you know, you just sort of, right. and she came out and told them that, you know, like both of her parents had lost their job. They were oh. staying with a relative, and she was concerned that they were going to be homeless and that oh, things weren't going to get better. And, you know, and, and you go, and they said, so then they were, and they said, and you told a story about this family who were good, and then later on, you know, at, you know, that they, they went through hard times, but it was about the love that they had for each other and that they were able to share. But, you know, like you said, what are we teaching our kids? What are we doing for our kids yeah. so that they'll be empathetic? And the fact that these teachers also have been so caught up in, you know, like the routine. You have to write this and it has to be spelled right and your penmanship well, has to be perfect. You know, it's like the they had lost the stories. Exactly. But, you know, yep. what are they not giving these kids? Yep. But I, I mean, I've just, I've been at this 13 years and I have nothing but compassion for the teachers because they're operating in a system that is deadly. You know, I mean, they just, uh-huh. most of them, I mean, I've been told 
by one principle, it's my job to say no to people like you. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, we don't have time to teach emotional intelligence. I mean, I like your programs, Jenna, but we don't have time. It's not that important. We have to prepare our children for testing. And this is the great disconnect. This is the great um, unspoken wound in our education system is that, that emotional intelligence is just as important, if not more important, than the quote-unquote intellectual pursuits because neuroscience has told us that if children are unhappy, sad, angry, upset, they can't function intellectually. They cannot learn because their bodies go into flight fight. And if we don't teach them how to manage their emotions and how to, to feel good about learning, <laughs> they're not going to learn diddly squat, excuse my French. But, I mean, this is like we must we must start to incorporate um, social-emotional learning into schools. And it's just not happening right now. Uh-huh. So I'm not, I mean, my, you know, like what my dream is to be able to get to the parents. Um, well, first of all, I'd love to form like a coalition with other authors that are doing what you and I are doing, because I know they're out there, uh-huh. you know, and I know that that's the way to get to the kids is through the stories. And then I'd like to find a way to get to the parents so that they understand what their kids are not getting. And I can't help but believe that if parents got it, they would be up in arms. You know, of course my child needs to be able to collaborate with others. Of course my child needs to be creative. Of course my child needs to understand how to resolve differences. But they're not being taught any of that. So anyway, that's and you, just got me off and of you my... Know, <laughs> no, but, but you know what, but then... Not only when you think about that, but often those parents went through X many years of the same type of training. So, correct. correct. Yeah. Yes. And the teachers, too, for that matter. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, we're having to undo quite a bit of conditioning. But I have yet to meet, well, there have been a few, but <laughs> there are very few teachers that I interact with, and I've got 10,000 of them following me on Twitter, who don't get it. They just don't know how to change it. Uh-huh. And I, you know, uh-huh. that's something I'm willing to talk about all day because I haven't found the, the way, I, how to reach, you know, reach the parents. And I know how to reach the kids if I can get into the classrooms, but um, I don't know how to, how to get it adopted sy- systemically so that we can really make a difference. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I, and you stop and you sit there and you, and you, and you think, and I, and I will tell you that I think that in some cases, that has been the plus side of people having to be at home with their kids, you know. Yes. And, I mean, yes. I have seen, you know, where they're more engage, engaged with them in this, in the, during this period of time where hopefully when it comes time to go back to school that maybe some of them will be a little more thoughtful about, about wait a minute, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a conversation I would love to keep having with you because – um, I think I finally got it through my head that I'm not going to be able to do any of this alone. You know, it's bigger than me. Uh-huh. And that I need to find other people who understand the problem and will also work with me to help change it. Yeah, yeah. And we can. And we can. You know, um, yeah. I often tell people, like, you know, how they say, well, and I ask you this, what would you say is, well, I will tell you, one of my most memorable activities or being involved with something was like um, in the 90s 
I was involved with, it was like a program, and it was a youth-type program. And one of the founders, he would always say, what can we be that our children might see? And, you know, and, and he always would come back to that, you know, like, what are you talking about it? And now one of the kids who was involved in it, she's the principal at a school that, that like, place-based education is totally different than what it is. You know, they're not getting rich. You know, they don't have a big curriculum, but they're doing these right. things. And to sort of see that, that you have to be involved in something, and, to, and a lot of the kids who came out of it, are, they are different, and they're going to make, you know, now they're, they're adults you know, making a difference. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. and, and to, but I learned from that too, you know, to, to how I yes. think differently about things. What was something that you feel has, you know, I mean, you've gone through a lot, but it, what, is there something that you can say that really gave you the kick in the pants to sort of say, you know what? Because you did, you walked away from corporate jobs, you changed this, you, changed, and, you know, and you're keep, <laughs> and now you're doing the braided life. What gave you that, that, that kick in the pants or that keeps you going. I mean, I could see a lot of people now looking at that, but look at what you're doing with Rated Live. What? What is that? Um, well, it's a couple things. One is um, I had to stop working on Criticin because my business partner had a, his third heart attack, mm-hmm. and he was the financial person behind it all, you know, and I couldn't write books and visit schools around the world and do all the things I was doing without somebody to, you know, be bringing the money in. So I set that aside Uh and I went back um, to working corporate, corporate America for a little bit. And then COVID hit. And, uh, you know, I thought, what in the world am I going to do? I'm living in two, two little rooms, you know, but Uh I thought, well, okay, first of all, you know, that it isn't, just you, that you need to help people find and tell their stories, and you need to be the person who connects them. I think I'd finally gotten that through my head, you know, that it wasn't just about me. I mean, I mm-hmm. could continue to tell my stories, and I could provide a platform, but I needed other people to contribute to. And that's where the idea of Braided Lives came came from. But I have to tell you that it's already evolved a couple times. You know, like I started a music portion of it that's taken off on its own, um, and then I started a section where um, people contribute under topics like homelessness or uh-huh. Black Lives Matter or death. Or, and I'm, I'm publishing those with the goal mm. of collecting them as essays down the road uh-huh. Uh-huh. and publishing them, you know. Um, so I'm not exactly sure where it's headed because people always want to know, what's your business model? What are you going to sell? <laughs> I know. I, you know, and I'll say this to you. I know it sounds airy-fairy, and yes, I do have T-shirts. Yes, I do have bracelets. Yes, I have books, blah, blah, blah. But, and even a class. I even wrote a class for Braided Life. But I will say this. I am asking people to to finally start to put money where they know their heart is instead of what they can get from it. Mm-hmm. So what what do you know is a good program to be involved with? You know, now it, it should and can be entertaining and engaging and thought-provoking and all that. Like, I wouldn't put anything out that wasn't all of those things. But, you know, if you're not getting a trinket or a T-shirt or a hat, can you still give money to it because you love it, because you know it's trying to make a difference in the world? 
I'm asking people to to tap their empathy and compassion and creativity and want to contribute both monetarily and in terms of stories. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but all, know, I, I, all I know is I can't go back to another corporate box. I just can't. I'm just not equipped for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, it is funny how people, it's like, you know, what are you selling? What do you got? And it's like, you know, well, mm-hmm. what I'm trying to do is to make a difference, you know. And can, yep. like you said, can you can you do that? Because, you know, I would love to have everybody and their mother have my books, you know. But I also have that, my model, I guess it's for like, if I have a good month selling books, I find some place, particularly if it deals with children's literacy, and I give them books. That's you right. Know. I do that too. You I know, do that too. I mean, do you know because... the Lucy Daniels Center? You ever heard of them? No. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Lucy Daniels is a, is a psychologist who started a school here in North Carolina to help children who learn differently. Mm-hmm. You know, now that could be they have Asperger's or they have a physical disability, but, but they, you know, they're not unintelligent. They just learn differently. They learn and So they need extra attention. Right. And mm-hmm. so I... You know, I present at their annual conference, and I give them books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'm, I, you know, I just wrote that down. You know, but you know, and, and I and I think that that's important. Like you said, that some some kids learn differently. And I know that when I was going into the schools and reading, it was funny. I had a teacher came up, and she had the kids who, you know, she said, "No one ever brings anything to my kids because oh. they don't think that they can do." And I'm going like, well, and at that point I had some storyboards. So mm-hmm. rather than sit there and read the book, we, 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 told, we made up our story. And we just had a, I a great that. time. But kids, I love that. I love that. You know, but to have that there, I mean, books have, as far back as I can remember, not only have I wanted to write stories, but I've always loved books. And doesn't it feel like a hold one? I always mm-hmm. order the hard, the actual physical ones if I can Thank because you. I like holding them. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you know, and I tell people that it was books. I mean, because I, I and you know, kind of, you tell people I said, you know, like there were a time, but now I understand that sometimes we just didn't have television, or there was a reason why we didn't. But every Saturday, my mother took us to the library, and it was yes. in that library and in books yes. that it showed me that <gasps> there's this world. And that there was endless possibilities that if I could find a book about it, I could go and either learn yes. how to do it or something like that. And that's why I think that books are, are so important. I know that a lot of people, like you said, I think there's something about holding a book in your hand and, and looking at it. I mean, I have friends whose, whose children, you know, they, they look at, I mean, even before they could say the word, they knew something about the pictures and that, that you turn the page is something about yes. that, you know? And people are, let's face it, I mean, human beings are tactile, right? Mm-hmm. And we need to engage all our senses. I mean, I would argue that, that I, I know the smell of books. I know the feel mm. of the paper. You know, I know the mm-hmm. pictures. I know the weight of it. I mean, yeah, no, books are awesome. <laughs> well, I think know, they saved I, my life. I really do. Mm-hmm. I do, I, how do you get, do how do you get away through mm-hmm. books? You know, really, I agree with you completely because, like I said, I mean, there, I've known people who don't have that experience and not, not believing, you know, or knowing that there's someone out there who may be very different than me, you know, 
but they're doing it, you know, and, and mm-hmm. you see that. I love books, you know, and I think that like people are like, well, you know, I know people who hold on to the ideal of writing a book unless they can get a big book contract. And, like, and guess what? That story doesn't get told. That book yep. doesn't get read, you know, and you don't know. And I'm going to little Jenna or Michelle who's going to pick up that book and do it and, and be off to the races. I have this, this uh, okay, it's like my theory, that, that human, humanity is, is like one giant puzzle. And each one of us has a, has a very specific, one-of-a-kind piece of that puzzle. And without your story, without your piece of that puzzle, our puzzle, our understanding of what it means to be human is not complete. So we need every single person to find a way. We need their stories. Uh-huh. We need to be able to finish our collective puzzle, our collective story. And that's what I tell people when they, oh, I can't do it, or I don't have contract, or like, baloney, you know, <laughs> do it. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now there's some people. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say there's <laughs> some people who are not, um, yeah, if I talk over you, just stop me because it's a bad habit I have. Um, some people who don't do well with writing. You know, um, my business partner was terribly, terribly dyslexic, but he was a wonderful writer. And so his solution was to just dictate things. And I'd type it out, and we'd have a rough draft, and then he could edit it. But to ask him to write would take him hours, and it was painstaking, and he couldn't get his thoughts together and everything. You know, he needed to verbalize it. That's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we got his story down, you know. So there are just different ways of telling it, your story. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't want to say there's only one way, but... Okay, that's all. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, and you, and you work with people. One of the things that I find is, like, people don't give away their narrative. They let someone else define it. And to sort of say, and they're like, well, I can't talk about myself. So, yeah, you can. You know, who <laughs> are you and what, what, do you want, what do you want to put out there for the world to know about you? And, you know, I know I am really particular about it, especially because like, I, I do public speaking. And if I go and the person who's going to, inter, you know, um, introduce me, like they, they've looked at, you know, whatever, and they've got this little box, and I'm only going to mm-hmm. talk about, you know, Michelle does this, that, and the other. I'm going to go, you know, well, hold on a minute. So I have a narrative that, uh, you know, I let them pick from and, and, you know, that they can do. But often we let others define our narrative. You know, if you're young, if you're a woman, millennials, every, every group people want to define your narrative. And often rather than telling your story, you want to fill in their blanks. How? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do we encourage people to to tell their own story in their own words? So, I wrote a a class called Rough Edges, and it's all about the um, debunking the myth of perfection, the idea that there's any one right way to tell your story. But in order to to begin to write your story and revise it, which, by the way, you will revise it multiple times. I mean, none of my students have any illusions about that. But, you know, you have to get it down. Where are you right now? 
And so many people are afraid to admit what they're feeling, admit you know what their perspective is, admit what um, their assumptions are about. They don't even know they're making assumptions. You, they need to get the story down, and then you can start to question it. Then you can start to say, I want to revise this to make it a good story, a story that I'm proud of. And that's the way I see my life. You know, I am not the same person I was when I was 18. Thank goodness. Uh-huh. You know, but I have rewritten. <laughs> I, know. My, I was a mess. I really was a mess. Mm-hmm. But I mean, mm-hmm. and I have rewritten my story multiple times. And to me, that's the gift I can give to people: is let me help you get it out, and then let's talk about revising it because you don't want to be a perfectionist. You don't want to be whatever their idea of beauty is, or what you know. You want to be the person you're meant to be. And the only way you're going to find that out is if you listen to yourself and get it down, right? That's the gift of story. That's why I was so excited to talk to you about story because I think a lot of the apathy, you know, that we were discussing earlier comes from that, that um, like people are in neutral. <laughs> they, don't, they don't know how to go forward. They don't know how to begin to tell their story. You have to put the... the the gear shift in and, and press the gas pedal and get it down, right? And that telling the story, even if it's just verbally to somebody else, I mean, that's why therapy works, in my humble opinion. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, a therapist listens and says, okay, well, this is what I heard you say. Is that what you meant? Oh, so many times my therapist caught me. <laughs> no, that's not what I meant, but you said, oh, oh, shoot. Well, but so it's how do you... How do you frame your story? You know, who are the main characters? And who, who do you want to be as the, the heroine or the hero of your story? You know? As long as you can get people to see their story as, as like, you know, Joseph Campbell's the, the hero's journey, right? As long as you can get them to see it like that, that, you are the hero of your story. And everybody around you is part of the story, but you get to make it what you want it to be. So what do you want it to be? Now, we're all working on this, but I just think that if people feel apathetic and tired and worn out, they don't know what to do because they don't know how to tell their story and they don't know who's going to listen because we're all shouting at each other in these boxes, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm standing yeah. over in left field, standing over in right field, we're shouting across, I'm right, I'm right. Well, what do you write about? What do you, what do you think your story is? Let me listen to it and see if I agree. You know, but we don't have that way yet to like we need a giant campfire <laughs> to sit uh-huh, around and tell uh-huh. the story and just listen uh-huh. because listening is really good for us we just you said that at the very beginning listening is so good for us it's how we get to know one another and when we get to know one another all of a sudden lo and behold what we have in common is is much greater than what or than our differences right uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah you know, i would my, love to do my- my classic therapist story was I was telling him once, I said, you know, they used to like, well, why do you think? I said, I don't hear the voices, you know, and he's going like, so you hear voices? I said, the voices that make me right, okay? You know, the voices are telling me the story. Calm down, <laughs> you know. Uh, I said, no, well, I don't I, need I, any I, drugs. You know, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you know what? But in saying that, you know, when I'm going that, and, I, and suddenly I start like this, this, you know, look on his face and like, so you hear voices, you know, <laughs> and what kind of voices? But it, I, it's the voices telling you the stories. It's the voices that you're hearing. Mm-hmm. It's the voices to where mm-hmm. you're able to, or what, what is it from this perspective that you're able yeah. to 
yeah. to tell that story. And you know, right. you know, we're storytellers. We hear voices. It's all good. I was going to say, know. any storyteller worth her salt <laughs> knows how to adopt yeah. a character, right? <laughs> and step into I, that uh, that mindset. I really, no, you I know, don't have multiple like, personality disorder. I'm just a writer. <laughs> you know, really, you know, I mean, how how can you do that? And and there's something about that to sort of like to be that, but there is that storyteller, and like you said, how you change. If I were to tell the story of 18-year-old me, I think that even if I told it now, it would be different than what if I had told it if I was 18, you know? I mean, we oh, grow, oh, yeah. we do that, we change. Oh, yeah. I particularly like it respect, and I, and I try to, to remember. Like you said, how we're not perfect. I talked to someone just a couple of weeks ago who's very accomplished, and at mm-hmm. one point in time, he mentioned, he said, you know, but coming along the way, I grew, I stumbled, I failed, but I learned, and I'm here. And, you know, sometimes it's important, you know, because to be able to talk about that, you know, it's okay to stumble, you know. I mean, it's okay to be, to have gone to therapy, you know. I mean, it's okay to be in a coach. Often people want to be like, oh, I wouldn't tell anyone that. But you know what? That's part of the Why human not? condition. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The other thing that, that the kids taught me, which was kind of, I mean, because until, what, 10 years ago, I would say I was pretty much a perfectionist. But what the kids taught me was, you know, pe- human beings are trial and error learners. Mm-hmm. And I like to quote um, Thomas Edison because he said, I didn't fail 10,000 times. I just found 10,000 ways that wouldn't work. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I know. And it, I mean, that's to me is, is exactly what we, how we need to approach life, you know, is you have an idea and I don't know if it's going to work or not. I'm going to try. And if it fails and I've learned something, I'll try something new. If we just approach education that way. Right. And our and our relationships that way, you know, I might I don't know you that well. I might offend you inadvertently. Right. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that our relationship is over. Oops, mm-hmm. Michelle, I'm, I'm really sorry. I didn't know that. Da, 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 right. So mm-hmm. can we start again, you know, but we don't everything's so absolute right now. You know, we, we tend to put each other in boxes and that's not healthy. Mm-hmm. We're going to make mistakes and that's a good thing. You know, in my, oh, <laughs> I mean, in one of, I mean, when I put on one of my other hats, I have a poem and one of the lines that in it is like that I don't want to be the one that sucks the air out of the room with my big ideals and my, my big goals, but I want to be that, that breath of fresh air that with those comes in and helps other people's you know, it stimulates and brings out their ideals. And I, w- I did this poem once, and I, re- I read, you know, the line, that's not it, but that's basically what it means. And I read mm-hmm. that, and, you know, and, and someone was like, yeah. And they said, I appreciate that, because often people will come in, and they'll, they'll talk all like, like, you know, they're way up high in the sky, and it's like, I can never do that. But, you know, but to right. be that breath right. of fresh air to sort of like, hey, maybe, you know, I can't do it that way, but I can do it this way. I've got this idea. Hmm. Yeah, I'd love I'd love to know more about how you do that. Because I find um 
at least in my experience in workplaces, you know, that, that I'll share ideas and people just shoot them down. You know, oh, we can't do that. That's, that's outside our wheelhouse. That's it. And I just learned to be quiet and not, you know, make waves. And that's not healthy for me. Uh-huh. Well, you know, and you it, breathe, it, breathe that fresh air in there. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, you know, like, I think that I often say it's like, in fact, someone told me, you know, this, this, this is my Buddhist practice, you know. But I find that, you know, that to, to take that minute to, like I have, in fact, just recently I was on a Zoom thing and I went through and clearly after I had, you know, used my my calming words and someone just like sort of like wanted to like like shut me down, well, we, we've got this and that and everything. And, you know, and t- that moment of taking a breath and, right. you know, coming back from a different perspective also to sort of hear, because what I heard was they feel threatened. Yeah, you know, I think that's a lot of it. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. As if they really feel threatened with what I'm saying and that what mm-hmm. I am saying wasn't like how we all move forward, was saying that they were doing something wrong. Yep. And, and so, yep. you know, that, that's, that's very that insightful about, of you, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I would say like, I'm going to say eight times out of ten, I'm able to do that. Where's one or two times when I'm going like, you know, what? <laughs> What's the but, matter you know, with you people? You know, really, and that's just real. You know, I, uh, you know, no Mother Teresa award for me. You know, because I said there's a couple of times when I'll go like, wow, you know, why am I wasting my time? And I'll be quiet. But I also, you know, I've been so fortunate, you know, to have times. I, I tell people like, um, Okay, this was like many, maybe like eight, eight years ago, maybe more than that. Anyhow, so I'm at this, this thing, Netroots Nation, and at that point in time, you know, I was on the VIP list to go in and talk to then Vice President Biden. Oh. And so I'm waiting to go in, and here's this young guy, and he said, you don't know who I am. He said, and you probably don't even remember. He said, but I remember you got up before this room of people and you talked about, uh, and you know what, and I knew what I was talking about. I talked about something that had happened here and it was a room where I think that you could have counted the number of people of color on maybe two hands. Mm-hmm. And there were, I, I want to say like that, I think someone said there was like 1,200 people in that room, but you know, someone said, you've got to say something, you've got to say something. And I got there did it. And he said, you know, he thought, and he said, if she can get up and talk about that in a room that, you know, wasn't comfortable. And he said, right. you know, but you did it. He said, I could do anything. So whether oh, wow. it's five, ten, you know, a hundred, a thousand or more, sometimes there's something that you're supposed to say. And yep. somebody... Yep. Many of the other ones are quick to go to lunch, you know. But somebody is going to hear that and go like, you know mm-hmm. what? I can stand in my truth. Mm-hmm. And, and I think wow, didn't that feel like, good to hear him say that? Yes. Wow. You know, wow. yes, I mean, I mean, and I've had things to where, you know, and I know, and it'd be some, um, I don't recognize if a someone will go like, oh, you know, I was, I was uh, asked to be in a part of a book and someone said, I heard you. 
I heard you, and you told a story that other women need to hear. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I said, you didn't awesome. see me, but I heard you. And, and that wow. helps you, you know, along the way. And that's why I try to do that. If somebody says something and I get it, or I'm going to, like, you know, like, I'll write down things. Well, I'm so glad you shared that because sometimes I feel like, I don't know, maybe you feel this too, but I, you know, I just feel like I'm, I'm out there screaming into the wind, you know, like, Mm -hmm. does anybody hear me? Does anybody see me? I mean, that's why I did that post about apathy, you know, because I just, Mm -hmm. I see serious things going wrong in our country and I don't understand people that, that, that can't even, you know, pass it along and say, you know, we need to call our representatives or we need to, you know, just educate one another. You know, so, when you hear someone talk to your neighbor, you know, just something, you know, you, that right. you just can't do anything. Right. Mm-hmm. right. You know, but give me a thumbs up, a thumbs up on Facebook. And I know you haven't read it, you know, uh, that, yeah. that's, that, that just drives me crazy, you know? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, it's not just me, but I mean, I often do feel like that and I'm glad <laughs> Glad to hear you say that because I don't feel so alone. I mean, I'd, I've come to realize that I'm not your typical person and I'm never going to fit in a box and I'm, you know, I'm just not comfortable with small, very small ideas. You know, I think big and then I execute. That's my gift. And so that's okay now. It didn't used to be because I didn't understand it. But, but so I'm not your average everyday person. But on the other hand, you would like to think that you're being heard and making a contribution, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where I get frustrated. <laughs> Yeah, I, I th- and I think that's what I think, you know, uh, it, it can, it can be like really frustrating, particularly when you see, you know, you've done this and then the same stuff is going on or, you know, you say, like you said, you know, write, write your congressman, do something, you know, to show that you don't right. think that it's right, you know, and, Pick up the phone. <laughs> you know, really, you know, they mm-hmm. still work, you know, they still work for something, haven't any check the email, you know. I mean, it's like, you know, just do that. Or if they have something and just say, show up, you know. And so I think that that's really important, you know. And it does. Sometimes it bothers me. It bothers me a lot because when you see people who don't, you know, you see people who walk by and, you know, don't get it, don't care, you know, you know, who don't get the bigger picture. I mean, when I see people just like, throw trash on the ground, and it's like... Yep, you that drives me nuts, up. too. You know, it doesn't have to be your trash. You can do that. You know, when you, I hear people complain about the uh, things that are really, you know, this, the world, nature was here before us. And when I hear you talk about, you know, well, the deers are coming in and eating up my flowers. I mean, it's like, really? <laughs> Yeah, this is their home. This is their home, you know. Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, but there is, there's a lot of apathy in this. uh, You know, I would like to think that when you see how many people have have passed, but, you know, some people don't, you know. Some people don't care that people are dying. People don't care about the other person, the other person in their community to sort of say, hey, you know, can I help you with something? You know, it just, it just drives you crazy. We're going to take our second break. I'm loving this. Okay. <laughs> I know, it's great. Let's, let's keep talking all night, okay? 
I know, yeah. Um, I'm going to take a second break, but we'll be right right there. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. And we're back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and I'm talking with Jenna Ball. I am so enjoying this. Um, Me too. You know how you're so talking what, how about... Gonna, I really want to mm-hmm. know how we're going to, um, you know, uh, take over the world. We're going to really? take over the world with yeah. kindness, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's time, you know. Well, you know, I think we're going to do an old school and new school. We're going to old school because we're just going to start and talk to people. We're just going to go up there and talk to people and have them tell us our stories. And then we're going to do new school by using some parts of social media, but trying to find the best way to do it, you know. Um, And how do you reach out? One of the things that I have found, I know a lot of organizations and causes, like um, there's a lady, she's in, where is she? Hmm. I want to say Delaware, no, Maryland. Well, anyhow, she was saying, like, they always did this one program once a year, and then they couldn't do it in 2020. They couldn't do it. But what they did, it was virtually, and now she has people who are following it from all over. And then in 2021, they were able to be there, and she didn't think anybody would show up, but people came. But other people found ways to keep the traditions in their own area. Right. So I think that we... We are going to do it. We're just going to take over. That's all. We're just going to take over. <laughs> you know? I just, I've just decided this is going to happen, okay? So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Just, I wish there was a, well, I can't tell you, but I'm writing, I'm writing a book about, about how empathy takes over the world. And we'll see if it gets anywhere. <laughs> well, you know, you write that book, and it will get somewhere even if it just gets to me. And you know That's what? That's right, and you can I- edit it for me. <laughs> You know, and when I read it, I'm going to tell someone else, you know. I mean, I'm always telling people, and, I, and sometimes people read, sometimes they don't, but I always, like, try to tell people, you know, you need to listen to this, you need to watch this, you need to hear this. Right. You know, I'm that person, if I hear something great on NPR, do you know what they said on NPR? You should oh, listen to this. Oh, I love NPR. But, yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, but but it's so so many things that 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 you have to to do. So there are a lot of really good people working on this this social emotional you know EQ on this topic, and I think that we need to get together as authors and see if uh-huh. we can form some kind of coalition because. Um, 
your work dovetails beautifully with mine and vice versa. I mean, there's no reason for, we're not in competition. I mean, so mm-hmm. how can we support one? How can we support one another, right? Mm-hmm. I think and that we that's both, a piece that's missing, you know, right now anyway. Uh-huh. And, and we know that, you know what, there's more than one way to do this, you know. So yes. what works, yes. you know, for this group might not work for that group. What, what, what reaches right. out and touches person A doesn't person B. And, you know, I am all about this. You know, I have been talking about this. Like I said, I have been doing this show since. Too long, 2017, and you know, and what was funny was wow. because, yeah, I mean, I had I had been doing a show out of Chicago mm-hmm. with some other people, and it was like, mm-hmm. it wasn't. I mean, people would be there who had something that wanted to say or wanted to connect, but that wasn't available to happen. And then when it mm-hmm. went out, I got you know, I talked to someone else, and they were like, you know, you should really do this because. You meet these people and and you you hear what they're saying, and so I have a list. You know, you know, I have a list. But how I have been saying each year that, in fact, I was closer to a pre-pandemic. Like, how do we find a way to to get all of us together to, yep. to do this, even if it's like that? And because of pandemic, now we know about Zoom and all like that, to where you can bring people together from different places, people who are the same, you know, to, to start having that conversation. Yep. I think it's like yep. just really, and you know, and I want to say that Mother Nature through COVID said, you know what, it's time I do a reset here. <laughs> you know, you need to think about Thank yourself. You. you need to think Thank about you. yourself and how, yep. and how do you move forward. So yep. when I hear people say, when we get back to normal, I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to go back to normal. Nope. Mm-mm. I don't want to we go back to that old bad state. I agree mm-hmm. completely. Completely. I want to go to some, and you know, and there are things that that you know that is brought up that you want to to be. I want to care about kids. I want people to care about kids um, more yeah. than just you know the fact that it took this to come out that some kids their main meal is at school. Yes. Because they live in areas where they don't have access, not only them, but their family, they don't have access to, to food and, and grocery stores, you know, and that in this age where everybody has a cell phone and all this, some people live in a, a, a digital desert to where they can't access all of this. I mean, so how do we make it better for everyone moving forward? I agree completely. I mean, we've got to get the disparity worked out because... It's just not right. I mean, every human uh-huh. being deserves decent housing, enough food, you know, clean water, <laughs> clothing, uh-huh. and a decent education. And by decent education, I mean, I really believe that the way to educate a child is to help him or her discover what is unique about them, uh-huh. to become self-aware. Uh-huh. And as soon as you find out, well, Joey's really good with his hands, and Sarah's really good, whatever, you know, you encourage that and you help them develop it. And that uh-huh. is that child's unique gift to the world. Now, I'm not saying, which is other people think I'm saying, I'm not saying don't teach them how to read or write. I mean, that's ridiculous. They have to be able to function. But you can teach them in the way that's best for them. If they're interested uh-huh. in woodworking, teach, teach them mathematics by teaching them woodworking. You know? uh-huh. <laughs> I, just, uh-huh. I just, so, I mean, project-based learning is another big thing for me. I just get really irritated because 
Um, we should be pouring so much money into education because the kids are our future. And if we don't teach them how to think outside the box, if we don't encourage them to be creative, if we don't encourage them to collaborate, then they're going to become Mitch McConnell's and, and, and uh-huh. Ted Cruz's and all the people that drive me nuts because they don't care. They and think they it's every care. man for themselves. Yeah, uh-huh. we're, that's what we're teaching them right now. And that's not true. We can't afford that anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I said, and we need to it. take over the world. <laughs> we, we are. We, you know, you've heard it here. The revolution. <laughs> you've heard it here. We have. Yeah, you know, That's the have. intention, but, and we are moving forward. <laughs> I mean, you know, and there are people who are like that. And I think that and it, to get over the prize, that it's not competition, but it's like how do, you, how do I connect you with you and you with you? And it might be that I connect you, but then I step back. You know, yep, and yep. and let you two go and 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 work it. You know, because right. I mean, think that's the other thing that you find is like, we don't have to have that that control and whatever. You know that we've been trained through corporate world and everything. Like somebody has to yep. be the boss, and we have to do this. Right. Like sometimes it's like you know, this person, that person, and there's enough work for all of us. <laughs> Yes, think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, really, you know. Oh, we do mess. We got a lot of work to do to get it undone. That's all I can say. Mm-hmm. Well, so we have to. We'll have to talk again and have next steps. Well, what we'll have to do is continue this conversation. Well, we're, we're, we are going to continue this conversation in so many ways, okay. you know, because cause that's just me, you know. Uh, once, once yeah, I me too. Hold, and I want to hear know. more about your poetry. I didn't get a chance to ask you about that. I I loved the reading I saw you do. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I, I can't. Somewhere in Detroit, and you were reading Love Me Like a Woman, I think. Which yes. was a great poem. Yes, I loved um, it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've got, you know, and, and that they go through different ways. And I'll tell you. I, oh, I said I was going to tell you about three layers and a brassiere. I had been, I mean, I, I, I was going to um, Toronto. I was just going to go to hang out. But I had a friend who was from Toronto, and she said, oh, come on, I, you know, rather than take the train, drive up there with me. So we did. And um, we had lunch with her friend who was like in her 90s. And her oh, well. friend said, you know, you can't stay in a hotel. You're staying with me. So I'm going to go, okay, fine. So we get to right. her house. And, you know, and it was like November-ish because it was our Thanksgiving. And uh, right. they were going like, um, she they were going to go to the store and they were saying, Gwen, you need to put on this, you need to put on that. And you and the way she this and she said, she said, look, I've got on three layers and a brassiere. That's enough to keep me warm. <laughs> Okay, now I get it, but that's adorable. <laughs> but but in talking to her, okay, I mean, and so, and of course, you know, if I can talk to you, I'm going to talk to you. Yeah. Well, we, we, we talked, and one time she talked about the parts of her life she had been through and how yeah. they were concerned about her being 90. She said, I'm going to die sooner or later. And so I, I actually did that um the three layers talked about like the three layers of women womanhood. Yeah. Oh that's and also not only but what but womanhood but what 
the symbolic part of when you reach that part and you put on this brassiere, that suddenly you've gone from being this little girl who might have dreams and ideals and want to do it, but you put on this brassiere and suddenly you you hit that world of quote unquote womanhood and its expectations. And you're constrained. Mm hmm. You're constrained. I resented that so much. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And then how later on you get to that point to where, hey, she. She's 90, she's living her best life. She don't care, you know. It's just right. warm, you know. And so, I mean, so there, as you talk to, to, to people, it's like, but she just sort of said that, and it was like, hmm. And then we just sat and continued to talk, and, and that turned into right. a poem, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. Well, you're a poet, too. You're not just a storyteller. You're a poet, which uh, I love. Uh, you know, I mean, sometimes I, I, poetry is the only way to say something. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but it is. Yeah, it is. I mean, sometimes, mm. and, and that's one of the things that, that and I think that in storytelling, uh, that I think that you know, I tell people sometimes you know people who sing, and that's how they tell their story. Um, right. Sometimes you can write poetry. Sometimes you can give a speech. Sometimes you can sit down and write it out. And sometimes you can mm-hmm. write a, a book. You know a children's yep. book or a grown-up book, but, you know, it's about you're, you're, you're sharing something. You're sharing yes. the spirit and something that's real about you. And don't you wish we could just let everybody know that, that you don't have to be Beyonce or J-Lo? Or any, you. You don't, mm-hmm. I mean, that your story matters just as much. That's the thing that I can't seem to get through everybody. Kids know that. Kids, you don't mm-hmm. have to convince. But adults, you're in, your story is just as important as theirs. Just because we put these people on pedestals does not mean that they're better, more deserving, or, or should have their stories heard before yours. And that's, that takes convincing. But I believe and it. You know, mm-hmm. And, you know, and the thing is, and that, that's, you know, and that's so important. I have gone to, like, writers' workshops, and I, I, just like I heard prisoners waiting to write the right story, it's so like, well, I wanted to write this, but someone told me that no one would ever pick me up. A publisher yeah. wouldn't, you know. Uh, you know, no. Well, that's the other thing. We've, and I, what do we, what do we call this? We've externalized everything. So every, it's like we're we're looking at each other's mirrors. Nobody's can do anything original because they're afraid it won't sell or won't be a hit or you know, stop. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't. I cannot create from that space anymore. I can't stop and think. Oh, I don't know if this is a good story. It might not sell, or I don't know who, what my agent will think of this, or whatever the problem is. You know, a lot of songwriters go through this. By the way, you know, like this is this is not going to be a hit. So why should I waste my time? Because it's you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we get past that. You know that that need to put other people on a pedestal. It drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, really, I, I agree totally. I mean, it's like, and sometimes I, and it's just like when I hear someone say something like that and they're so talented, I'm going like, you know, please, do you, sing you, be you, do you know? you. Mm-hmm. I want that to be our new, our new slogan, do you. That's right. Because like nobody that. else can do you. There's only one you, and you're needed in this world. Do not mm-hmm. silence yourself. That's yeah, why we're not all alike. That's why each of us is different. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, I mean, that, that's just like... Uh, Can you imagine question? Amanda Gorman trying to be anybody but herself? Really? I mean, I mean, I mean 
Um, she's okay. totally herself. I adore her. You know, like she's not to trying to like on, Yeah. I'm trying to think on which show it was, it was either on. It might have been on The Moth. They had a story. She was that. on there when she oh. was like a kid, and she was talking about this thing with her mother. I mean, when before, and it was just like hilarious. And she was telling this like this story about how her mother wanted her to do like that, and how she just did her own thing. And she said, yeah. "Who would think, you know, that from being like uh, I mean, I want to say she was like a pre teenager when she was telling the story about what had happened then." And, you know, it's like, and, yeah, look, here she is. God, she was magnificent. Mm-hmm. Just, she was so totally herself. That's what I liked. I mean, I loved her words, but she was so totally herself. Nobody else could have been there or should have been there. Uh-huh. And it was like not only her words, but how, the way her body moved, her expression. Her presence, yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. oh yeah, no. everything about that. That was just fantastic. It was. Yeah. I'm still and, not and over it. I just. <laughs> and, and I, you know, and I tell people, I said, you know, and, you know, and I can recall like in early going to a, uh, somebody said, don't use your hands when you talk, don't use your hands too much, don't do this and that. You know, what if she had just stood there with her arms at her side and said that it would not have been the same? No. Oh, heavens no. Mm-mm. No. Mm-mm. Yeah, no, no. She's... But I mean, that's, that's, She's a great example of how we need to encourage one another you know, to be uh-huh. authentic, we are authentically ourselves, you know. And I don't think that, honestly, I, I don't think that most people know who they are at this point. Uh-huh. You know, I, uh-huh. I don't think most people are taught to look inside and just breathe and, you know, who, who's under there? Who's under all the expectations and all the rules and all the, you know, ideas of what's right and wrong? You know, who, who's, who's under there? And how are you uh-huh. going to share it? Oh, we've got uh, a dissertation right here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you say you're in North Carolina. <laughs> um, I are you, am. You have family here? Um, no. You said? Um, no, I think or somebody the was last from one, here. Yeah, my mother's family was from there, and then they moved. Uh, okay. They did the whole northern migration thing, and there was some who were left. But I think the last one that I knew of had, had one who stayed near Asheville, then the other one, she moved in with a relative, and she just recently passed, and actually, she lived to be 100. I'm going to be around a long time, you know. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, that's good. Yeah. You know, I got no, a lot I of work. Leave it. Yeah, a lot, <laughs> lot, of, lot of work to do. I just found you. I mean. Oh, you know my gosh, right? Okay, so um, there are two things. One is... Um, my sixth book, which is, forgive the title, but it's called Doxy, the Doggone Dirty Digger. And it's about a dachshund. Mm-hmm. It's about a dachshund who, who has OCD. He can't stop mm. digging, right? Mm-hmm. And so his people are just fed up with him and they've had enough. And they, so they send him off to basically doggy summer camp. where um, And doggy summer camp is dogs but also kids who are have problems, you know, relating to one another and stuff. And so they... Get, all, get them all together, and they, they plant this huge garden, and they give Doxy a job, and he digs holes for the seeds, you know? And so it's the, it's the whole story of how um, people who don't seem to fit 
i.e. dogs that don't seem to fit, um, mm-hmm. everybody has a place. And everybody's what seems to be a problem is actually a gift. Right? So by the end of all of this, you know, he's got a job and he's perfectly happy digging veg- vegetables up and, you know, his people are happy and the kids are, love him. And so I'm finishing that. I, have, I illustrate all my books, too, so that's sort of where I am right now. Yeah. I have to finish illustrating it. And then I'm working, this is kind of hard to explain, but I'm working on a story that will then become a mystery. So yeah. that the... The story itself um, is something happens, and then people need to solve the mystery of what happened. And so they go out to find the different pieces and put the, the puzzle together. And um, it's in both virtual spaces and real life spaces. So you can solve the mystery wow. in, either, in either place or both mm-hmm. places. Um, mm-hmm. But the pro- not problem, but it's it's a little complicated in that um, uh, I have to get people to agree to, to let me plant plant the, the clues. <laughs> oh, okay. Wherever they are, right? Can I plant the, mm-hmm. the clue in your museum, right? Or can I can mm-hmm. I plant the clue in your, in your park bench or whatever? You know, so that's a big idea that I've been working on. And of course, I'm working mm-hmm. on pass along songs, which is my um, mm-hmm. Substack Substack blog which I'm really enjoying because I'm getting to, to talk about topics that are really important to me through music. Uh-huh. So I'll share a theme. Um, like this week's theme is the courage to feel. And then I work with one or more musicians to uh, have them give me songs that fit that theme. And so we t- discuss, I you know, do my intellectual thing. I discuss the, the topic a little bit, but then I use the music to il- illustrate it and ask people, well, what songs do you think fit this theme? How, what would you pass along to somebody else, right? Uh-huh. So that's starting to catch, catch on a little bit. It's kind of a new idea. I only have about 60 subscribers so far. Well, I love music. I mean, I've, I've been watching it, and I just haven't had time to sit down and really get with it because I think that's great, you know. It's so I think that's much great fun. Because sometimes, you know, so the, it is. Music sometimes works well with it, you know, um, yeah. and you can find something that expresses what what's going on through music. I know, um, you know, I have all the all the the songs together, and it's funny how I'll be walking and I'll listen to it. And so, say it's like the same song, and it's performed by maybe two, maybe three different artists. And there's yes. something different that you get out of, of each one. Every you know? time, yes. Mm-hmm. What's interesting to me is, I mean, and this is why I'm asking people to pass songs along. Like you might use the same song, but a different version. <clears throat> or somebody might think of another song that fits in. But I think that that's another way to get people to network and connect with each other emotionally, not just intellectually. Mm-hmm. Right? So, mm-hmm. but what's been interesting to me is sometimes what I post brings up things for people that I never intended. <laughs> and it's like pushing my buttons in a good way. Like I have to really think about it. I posted, um, last week I posted the song Vincent by Don McLean, mm-hmm. which is about the life of Vincent Van Gogh, you know, and the the signature line of that song is I could have told you Vincent this world was never meant for one as beautiful as you Mm. and 
right. And so, <laughs> but people reacted to that um, by saying, oh, you know, you're, you're bringing up the whole tortured artist myth and, you know, you're, you're feeling like a victim. And, and, and all I had done was share, uh-huh, I, I uh-huh. shared, I shared the song, but I also shared what had happened to me, which was that a good friend told me, you know, Jenna, you're always trying to find ways to fund or do your, these creative projects. He says, but most people like you never get recognition until they die. Uh. And I know that he was just frustrated, you know, because he, he, he wishes he was a millionaire and could hand me a bunch of money, right? Um, but it, it was like a slap in the face. And so what I was trying to do in that post was not say that I was too beautiful for this world, but that, you know, we need to start valuing creativity and artistic efforts and supporting them so that people don't, you know, artists don't struggle and suffer the way Vincent Van Gogh did, you know? And, yeah. oh boy, oh boy, the, some <laughs> the comments I got. And so I thought about it and I thought about it. And so then I did the first post for this week about that. And I said, you know, I wasn't trying to be a victim. I was just pointing out that our society doesn't value or even encourage creativity. And it's about time we did. Because exactly. when you know, my pay- mm-hmm. yeah. That's true. One of the things my parents said to me was that artists are needless expenses on society. Wow. And it took me years, took me years to get over being angry, but then to realize why I was so offended was because creativity doesn't belong to just Vincent Van Gogh's or Don McLean's or Beyonce's or whoever else, Jason Pollock or Picasso's. It belongs to everybody. And how many, how many Picasso's and Vincent Van Gogh's have we destroyed, have never even had a chance to express their creativity because we don't encourage it. We don't allow it. You know, that was my point is, is that, come on now, <laughs> you know, stop torturing our artists and give them the, a chance to bloom, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I don't know and, and, what, what kind of hell I'm going to get into for that, but... <laughs> uh, but, you know, I really also to recognize the artists that creativity in you, you know, and even in, in, yeah, in exactly. quote-unquote corporate world, you know, how more yeah. productive would someone be if you allowed them to look outside the box, bring a little, something yeah. different to it, you know? Mm. I posted um, a link in that, in that post because I, one of my good friends is one of the top people in Adobe, you know, Adobe mm-hmm. Illustrator, Adobe Photo. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, and he's been part of a series of studies they've done about the importance of creativity in, in schools and in the workplace. Because right now there's a huge um, divide between what the kind of people who are graduating from college and what um, companies know they want and need. Because kids are graduating from college thinking in silos. They don't think outside the box. They're afraid to fail. They're afraid to try new things. And this is the exact opposite of what companies need. You know, they want innovative people who can learn on the fly because 60% of the jobs these kids will have have not even been invented yet. And they're very, very frustrated because they hire them out of college and then they have to retrain them. So I've been talking, you know, so I posted links to that in in the post. But that's that's the, if you want to talk money, if you want to talk the rationale beyond caring about human beings, um, you need to talk and you need to talk about money, then that's the reason. Because we can't, and companies are saying this, we can't, we can't move forward without creativity. We can't, we can't improve on our products and help the environment and bubble all these things if we don't have people who can think outside the box. So, anyway, it, it fits beautifully in with, with this 
this passion I have for, for igniting creativity and encouraging uh-huh. creativity in others throughout their lives. I want to thank my guest, storyteller Jenna Ball. Her project, Braided Lives, provides people hungry for connection to meet, to comfort, console, and encourage one another and tools that allow them to communicate and share ideals effectively. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.